Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Building Law. I am the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch. Speaking of doing things from scratch, we have just started scratching the surface of the third season, which is going to be a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign. So grab your copy of the rules and get ready to build with us. Last week, we did a basic outline of what our campaign world is going to look like, and we're going to start expanding on it next week. So we're going to leave things right there for the moment. This week, we're going to get into character creation. Now, you might wonder why we'd be building characters well before we've got the campaign world built out. The reason for doing it is this. It's what I've got ready to do at this point. No greater reason than that. Now, I could argue that you'd be doing your session zero before you had the campaign ready to run, but I tend to have at least the first session or two ready to go before I do a session zero, so that's not going to fly as an excuse. So let's just go with the truth and move along. Character building in 5th edition D&D is pretty simple, so it's not like doing your taxes or anything, but since we've probably got a few folks listening to the show who've never done it before, I kind of feel the obligation to run through this. That means for those of you who've done this a time or two, this is your chance to listen in and pick me apart for the stuff I mess up, which is always possible since I haven't played or run a D&D game in probably at least five years. The first thing we need to get into is the first thing we discuss every season on this show, and it's the idea of a session zero. It's something that a lot of the old schoolers tend to scoff at, but I think it can be a really helpful session. It's the opportunity for the entire group to create their characters together, especially since they've got the DM there while they're creating to answer their questions, address their concerns, and the DM is there to discuss things that are and aren't allowed in the campaign. It also gives the group an opportunity to discuss how and why they got together to be an adventuring group, if that's something that's already happening when the game begins. For this game, I'd highly recommend a session zero, since there are some limitations we're placing on characters, so you'll need to have the players with you when you're handling the creation process. Now, there is a way you can work around this, and we're getting to how that would work here in a moment. So while you're figuring out whether or not you want a session zero, you also need to figure out how you want to do your character sheets. With D&D, you have options. You can either do the old school paper sheets, or you can take advantage of the digital age with D&D Beyond. Now, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. The obvious advantage to the paper sheets is that you're only out the cost of printing the character sheets. Beyond that, you don't have to pay anything else. Now, if you go with this option, you pretty much have to do a session zero since you're going to have to be with your group to make sure you can explain all of the restrictions we're placing on the character options. But if that's the only issue you've got, you're all good. D&D Beyond is the favorite of a lot of folks these days. I mean, I tend to use it for my D&D groups, and I like it. I mean, it allows for your group to be able to create their characters from home and you to be able to check out their character sheets and let them know whether or not you'll sign off on them before you get together to play the first session. However, there are some issues there that might make you not want to use it. The big one for most of you will be that unless you're only using the most basic of rules, and by basic, I mean the basic rules that you'd get out of one of the beginner's boxes you can find at your local game shop or from many of the department stores out there like Walmart or Target, you'll have to buy the book. So, in order to use the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual, you'll have to shell out for each of them. 
And it doesn't matter if you already own them in hardcover, and it's not cheap either. The other big issue is that printing off copies of character sheets from D&D Beyond is a hassle. Then again, if you're going digital, what's the point? Well, I had a player who insisted on using a hard copy during my last D&D game because he's that's old school, which is why I know how much of a pain in the butt it is. So that's why I'm telling you that now. It really doesn't matter which method you choose, but that's something you need to have figured out before you do your session zero, since if you're going with D&D Beyond, there's something else you have to do before your group gets together. You have to log into your D&D Beyond account and create a campaign. D&D Beyond is very user-friendly, so I don't need to walk you through the steps for this, but once you've done it, Make sure you email every member of your group the link so they can get into the campaign. And obviously, they all need to have a D&D Beyond account, but they can get that for free. This would probably also be a good time to note that once they've entered your campaign, they have access to all of the books that you own for building their characters. So that might be something to consider when you go to buy the book, split the costs, but a downside to that is your account would be the only one that would actually have all of them. So unless you're willing to have a group account that the GM would be sharing, that might not be cool with everyone. But it's still something to consider if you're going to be playing a lot of D&D. If the technology is giving you a headache, just run off enough copies of the basic sheet for every member of your group to have a character sheet plus an extra for each group member for when they inevitably decide they don't like their character or have a character die, then let's just stop the headaches and get into the actual build process. So, based on what we laid out last week, there are going to be a few limitations on what the players can choose when they're setting up their characters. Since magic's illegal, they obviously can't be wizards. That would get them burned at the stake pretty much from the get-go. I mean... When we start the build, your players are probably going to cry foul, but trust me, being a wizard, once we get into the swing of things, would not be a good thing for them, so let's just pull that from the options from the beginning. Now, that being said, I'd say being a sorcerer would probably be okay, as would the warlock class, though I would caution players choosing these classes to make sure they're being real cautious about who they're casting spells around, and I'd suggest they find ways to hide or disguise their casting. That would basically mean they'd need to consider going for the feat route down the line instead of the ability increases so that they can take the feats that allow for casting without verbal and gesture components being necessary. Unless, of course, they can come up with a way to work it that seems logical to you. I could also argue that players could be druids, since the laws don't really say anything about nature magic. It's not something I've thought about in any great detail as I've been working my way through the details of the campaign, and I can even see it being an interesting discussion with the authorities at some point. Clerics would be allowed, though remember what we mentioned last week about the restrictions. Fighters, paladins, rangers, monks, and rogues are all allowed without any restrictions. So let's talk about the races. Basically, any race from the player's handbook is available except the half-orc, dragonborn and tiefling and i'd actually even consider the dragonborn if you can come up with a justification for it now i almost always have a player who just has to play some different race from another source book other than the one or ones i want to use 
If you want to allow that, it's totally up to you. But I would suggest that you insist the player in question come up with a logical reason why this creature or race would exist in this world and on this continent. And they need to come up with it well before the game starts. And while you will allow them to create said character, they won't be allowed to use it until they provide you with said explanation, which means they will also be creating a character under the guidelines you've set. But I have to be honest. I don't know that I'm going to allow stuff like that to go around. It, it gives me a headache and it always seems to overbalance things. Plus, if you're setting things up a certain way, your players need to all do things that way. However, I leave it to you to run your game the way you want to. Okay, so for those using D&D Beyond, I've got a couple of quick notes for you as you get into the character creation process. You need to make sure you choose to only use the basic rules and the player's handbook, even if you own other books. Also, turn off all of the other optional source rules. Turn on dice rolling and turn off optional class features. When it comes to advancement type, I leave that to you since you can either choose to advance by experience points or by milestone since the builder worked both ways. For hit point type, choose manual. Leave the prerequisites for feats and multi-class on and leave level scale spells on. You can choose to leave encumbrance on if you want or not. Depends on whether you're a stickler for that. I don't count coin weight, so I keep that off. If you do, turn it on. And I like the modifiers on top, but choose to put those wherever you want. Finally, set the character privacy to campaign only. Now, for experienced players and DMs who've used D&D Beyond, you're probably annoyed that I just wasted about a half a minute of your lives that you can't get back. I apologize for that, but every season we get some new listeners that haven't played the games we're building, so I like to make sure they know what we're doing, so I appreciate you humoring me on that one. And for those of you who do know the system, you do you. Oh, one more thing for you D&D Beyond folks, when you get to choosing race, which you do next, you need to select the player's handbook races and make sure you turn off legacy content since it's being phased out as we get closer to one D&D later this year. So bring both the D&D Beyond and the paper sheet folks back together as one and move our way through this section. It's time for our player to determine the race of their character, and since we're doing this as a part of Session Zero, we're there to remind them of what they can and cannot be. Now, I am building a character as we go through this, so I'm going to build a human, and I am not going to go with a variant just because I am going to keep things simple. This choice gives us the ability to choose a second language, and I personally think it's going to be a good idea to add a language from one of the non-human races that might either be a part of the group or that our group might interact with later on. So I'm going to choose Dwarvish just for grins and giggles. That's just me. Next up, time to choose a class. Again, I'm going to keep the class restrictions in mind. Now, I didn't mention this up top, but our group is kind of starting the campaign in hiding. So we're going to choose one of those islands. We'll do that next week. So the only restrictions are going to be the ones I mentioned, and I kind of lied. We're going to probably be a little flexible, but again, we're going to have to really have a really good reason why I would allow one of those, but I believe every good group needs a meat shield, so I'm going to build a fighter. First thing I need to note is that this fighter, and any character for that matter, is going to get the maximum number of hit points at first level. So since the fighter uses a D10 for the hit points, that's going to be 10 plus their con modifier and hit points at first level. 
And of course, if you're using D&D Beyond, we don't actually do the stats until a little later. So we'll get to that con modifier when we get there. Yeah, I know all you paper sheet folks already rolled your 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 abilities. I know, I know, sue me. <sighs> I know, I'm, I'm upending 50 years of logic. Blame Wizards of the Coast. It's easier that way. We blame them for everything. Or South Park, blame Canada. Sorry to my Canadian listeners. Next up, we get to choose two proficiencies. And since I see our fighter being the meat shield or the tank, however you want to call it, I think intimidation and survival probably need the proficiencies. So we will keep those in mind a little later on when we're working up abilities. We also get to choose our fighting style. Now let's keep that front line thing in mind. So for me, there really only are two options, interceptor or protection, both of which allow our fighter to take damage away from the group if they are within five feet of one of the group members who gets attacked. I like interceptor since it reduces the damage by 1d10 plus our proficiency bonus, which is plus two at the moment, so long as we're using a shield, while protection will only give disadvantage. So interceptor it is. Now for the D&D Beyond folks, it's time to the ability scores. Now for those who do not know, (laughs) that favorite phrase of mine, there are technically three ways you can generate ability scores. There is the standard array, which means you get a set of scores, 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and you assign one of them to each of these six abilities as you see fit. The advantage to this is that all of the characters in your group are going to be equal in score spread. The disadvantage is that nobody's going to be what I'd call exceptional in anything. You've got the point by system. Each ability score starts out at eight and you get 27 points to use to build the abilities up. The advantage here is that you can build a score up as high as you want so long as you don't build higher than 18. The disadvantage here is that you can wind up with a huge variation in scores in that you could have a couple of 18s crossed with a couple of 8s, which could make for a character that's very difficult to play and might be discouraging as you proceed in the game. That's why my preferred method is the roll method. It works just like it sounds. Now, the rules say you roll 46, keep the best three dice, and total them for a score. However, I have modified that rule for my games. I instruct my players to roll 46, re-roll any ones, and keep the three best dice and total them for a score. And by any ones, I mean you re-roll ones until there are no ones left in that particular set of four dice. So if I'm rolling four dice, and one of my dice keeps rolling ones, I keep rolling that darn thing until either it stops rolling or one or until I've pitched it out the window and pick another die so I can move on to rolling for the next ability. Seriously. And for those who are curious, I use this method because I believe it generates higher ability scores and I prefer that because I believe player characters should have higher scores because I believe they should be higher skilled or, well, better's not the right word, but I think you know what I mean. So that's why I use this method. Obviously, use the book method if you disagree, and I know there are a lot of DMs out there who disagree with me. Cool. You are totally, totally, totally entitled to your opinion. We will just agree to disagree, and that's cool, man. It is totally cool. Now, if you are using a paper character sheet, all is good with the world, but if you are using D&D Beyond, you are going to have to manually enter these scores, which is why I had you choose the ability to do so early on in the process. Also, this is where you'll take the modifier you have for constitution and add it to the hit point total. 
though D&D Beyond should take care of that for you if you are using it. I would check that, though. The program gets a little squirrely about it from time to time. Oh, I'd also note that as a human, you get plus one to all of your ability scores. Yay! One more reminder as you go to place those ability scores. Strength needs to be your top priority as a fighter, with dexterity and constitution being the next two. I think charisma would be next on the list, with the lowest of your two scores being intelligence and wisdom. Now, if you disagree with these, spread your scores the way you like. My opinion, strength still needs to be the top score, and I'd still make constitution a priority, but from there, go with what works for you. Okay, so if you're using D&D Beyond, the description tab is next. I'll be honest, most players and DMs don't really get into this, and if you're not really into doing backgrounds and deep explorations of what your characters are all about, you can skip this entire section of the show. But some of what's in here is what's going to help you get into the role-playing aspect of the game. So we really do need to take the time to get down and dirty with it. So let's do this. And it applies to you pen and paper folk as well. So follow along. For the digital folks, the backgrounds are pre-generated and that puts you at a disadvantage here because we are not using any of them. I don't like any of them because they don't suit our purpose properly. That means you will have to create one for your group to use. So Let me explain how you do that, and me doing this will give the pen and paper folks the explanation of what this background is so that they can use it. The name of this background is Disenfranchised. The description is as follows. Your family has been among the groups the Empire has held down or held back for generations. Maybe you've had a family member or two lucky enough to get into the military, but otherwise you've either been chased down and tossed into slavery or have been forced to live on one of the islands. Now, normally with a background, you'd be able to get proficiencies in languages. We are not going to do that. And my reasoning here is because my one issue with 5th edition is that it makes it way too easy for characters to be able to do so many different things that one character can do multiple classes worth of things. Call me a cranky old timer if you'd like. (laughs) I will own that. This is also the section where you can really personalize the characters. So look through both it and the book for those of you using the paper character sheets and make the most of it. Last up is equipment. Each character technically has the choice to take equipment or gold. However, we are not giving them the choice. They must take equipment. Sorry, not sorry. And we're taking some choice away from our dear fighter. And I will try to explain this as we go along and it should help you as you help your players figure out how to equip their characters. Let's work this step by step. So it makes some sense. With the fighter, they've got the choice of chain mail or leather armor and a longbow with 20 arrows. We are going with the leather armor, the longbow, and 20 arrows. Next up is either a martial weapon and a shield or two martial weapons. Now, if you'll remember, we specifically chose our fighting style based on a shield, so this one's a no-brainer. We'll take the martial weapon and a shield, and for our martial weapon, we'll take the longsword. Next up, we get either a light crossbow and 20 bolts or two hand axes. Doesn't really matter here, but I think two axes would be cool, so we'll take those. Last up is a Dungeoneer's pack or an Explorer's pack. Since the plan, initially anyway, is to be exploring, we'll go with the Explorer's pack. So if you're working with pen and paper, write everything in and total up your stats accordingly. If you're working on D&D Beyond, you need to make sure you equip what you need so you can get it to show up in your character sheet and have the proper stats. To do that, you'll click Use for the Longsword and Wear for the Leather Armor and Shield. You can then click on the thing that looks like a sheet of paper on the upper right-hand side of the screen and look at the character sheet. 
Once we've done all of this, we've built our character. Congrats. Now, how does this apply when you're building out other characters and you're trying to figure out how to equip them? The basic idea for these characters, they're not going to have a ton of fancy equipment and fancy gear. So you're wanting to give them the simple armor, the simple weapons. So more leather, scale perhaps, studded leather, basic shields, basic martial weapons, long bows, short bows, simple arrows, slings, right? Pole arms would work. So you get, you're kind of getting the picture. We're not going with anything over complex, not going with anything over sophisticated. Okay. So just kind of keep that in mind as you're going to build. You know what? I'll tell you what, we've got the time. Why don't we build out another character? In the past, when I played D&D, I've been accused of having a thing for playing either dwarven fighters or halfling rogues. So why don't I do something a little bit different here and create a gnome? We'll go with a rock gnome. And I like that idea for reasons that will become a bit more clear once we get into the specifics of the starting point for the campaign. That'll be next week. Class. You know what? Let's go for broke here. I'm going to be an artificer. For me, this is going to be way outside my comfort zone, and it's probably going to be the same for a lot of you, so we'll be learning on the fly. If you're willing to come into something like this with an open mind and have some fun, especially with a gnome, this could make for a very interesting character to play. For proficiencies, we'll go with arcane and sleight of hand. Arcane is an obvious one, and sleight of hand should be as well, considering the ban on magic. We'll go with jeweler's tool as an artisan's tool that the class is allowed to have. Now, we need to choose some spells, which is going to be a new one for us here. You look over them and see what works for you. After all, it's your butt on the line when you play this character. However, I've played enough D&D over the years to have a pretty good idea of which spells I'd like to cast. So here's what I'm taking. For my cantrips, I want Firebolt and Message. And for first level, I want Cure Wounds. Now, I did do the roll for my abilities. And while I'd love to share these numbers, I'm a bit embarrassed to do that. And it's... Not because it was an embarrassment of riches, quite the opposite. I did get an 18, so I was able to stuff that into intelligence, which is the top ability for an artificer. But otherwise, yeah, I think we're just going to be hiding this dude from pretty much everybody we don't know. Just saying. I geared him up and he is ready to go. Okay, so with the character creation process explained, I wanted to address a couple of questions I've gotten a bunch of times over the course of two seasons of this podcast, as well as multiple times at conventions, and it's technically a two-part question. How large of a group are we building for here on the show, and what would the ideal group build look like? So the ideal size of a group, and therefore the size of a group we're building for on this show, is four or five. That's the size of a group that most off-the-shelf adventures are building for, and it's the size of a group that the challenge ratings of D&D monsters are created for. So why reinvent the wheel? That being said, it's not overly difficult to make adjustments as needed for a larger or smaller group. And I'll work up a chart for that sometime over the next couple of weeks and get Gabe to post it on the website for your perusal. And actually, I think Wizards actually did that a while back. So if I can find that and it's okay to post it, I'll post it. Otherwise, I'll see if I can jury rig something that you can post and take care of that. That leads us to the ideal group builder composition. Typically, I assume that question to mean what classes should the players in my group be playing for maximum effectiveness. 
Okay, so I'm going to give you the min-maxer power gamer answer first. Then I'm going to give you my answer. That first answer goes like this. Make sure you've got someone who focuses on ranged combat, someone whose focus is on charisma-based skills, and someone with a healing focus. I'd also make sure you've got at least one meat shield and or tank, though two would be nice. A rogue would also be nice if you could swing it, and if you've got a wizard in there for the fireball or lightning bolt, so much the better. My answer is this. Have fun. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be all about at the end of the day. Who cares if you've got five wizards in the group and only last 10 minutes? (laughs) All right, that might suck, so let's try that again. Having fun should be the focus. I'm sure your group will be checking with each other to see what you're playing, but at the end of the day, play the race and class you want to play, and don't worry about playing what you feel the group needs. Play what you feel is going to make you happy. Remember, this is a character that you're hopefully going to be playing for the next year or so. So if you don't like it, it's going to be a really long year. And you know what? I think that's a good spot to bring this week's build to a close. Next week, we're going to bring our campaign setting a bit more into focus as we start to zoom in on our starting location and where we intend to take our group for the first part of the adventure. Oh, and I finally have a name for the nation. Yay! In the meantime, check out Role Playing History. This week, I'm detailing the game Jim's running for our group so that I can play instead of GMing for the first time in about four years. The game is called Masks, and I think you'll enjoy it. Role Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or from our website, badgmproductions.net. All materials used on this podcast are done so under the guidelines of the Open Game License and System Reference Document from Wizards of the Coast and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. The theme music for Bad GM's campaign build-along is Savage by Alex-Productions on sound.eu forward slash and is available on pixabay.com. Check out the info box for this episode for the full credit listing. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We've got a presence all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode to see where you can follow us, and make sure you do so to keep up with what we're doing, as well as making sure you get updates about delays we might be having with the shows, or when we take our shows on the road. Next week, we bring the start of the campaign more into focus by bringing the starting location a step closer to reality. Until then, I'm the Bad GM Wayne Davis, I'll see you at the game table.